Good morning, Veritas. Uh, my name is Mark Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Cool story um, from my last month. I went to Jeff Dodge uh, a couple of months ago. I said, hey, I have a, a, some vacation time that's going to expire at the end of June when our fiscal year kind of ends and restarts. And, and he went back to the elders and um, I ended up, instead of like a week off, I ended up with a month off. The elders are like, it's been a long year and a half. Why don't you just take some time off? And so what a privilege it is to serve here at this church uh, with such great men and women. Just, um, I feel so honored uh, to be a part of this church. Um, and I love it that I would um, attend, a ch- I, I, I go to a, ch- I work at a church that I would go to even if I didn't work here. You know what I mean? Like, I am not just here because I, I have to be here. It's like coming with my family, what a joy it has been over the last uh, few weeks to just come and enjoy worship and the word with everyone. So, um, yeah, but we're, we're glad you're here this morning, and I'm glad to be here this morning as well. So, um, we are coming to the end of our study through the book of Second Timothy. Next week is actually our last week, but uh, we come to kind of the final charge that Paul gives, the Apostle Paul gives this young pastor, Tim- Timothy. If you have a, a Bible, open to Second Timothy 4, 8, we're starting with uh, verses 1 through 8, and he begins... He says, I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing and kingdom. Let's stop there. He begins with this solemn charge. So the tone of our passage and the tone of our mourning is this, it's, it's solemn. It's a, this is an actual technical term for taking an oath. If something's solemn, it comes with deep, sincerity and seriousness. Think of the president who takes the oath of office. I do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Or think about in Paul's time, this idea of a solemn oath would be something like in ancient Greece, the Hippocratic Oath. Many of you have heard of that. We have a lot of physicians in this in this area, the Hippocratic Oath, uh, physicians swear, they, in their day, they would swear by the healing gods that they would do no harm, and they talked about, um, you know, medical privacy, and things like that, things that we still use even to this day. But this passage this morning, I want you to invite you into the tone here. We have this sort of oath of office or Hippocratic Oath of pastoral ministry, like anyone who's going to step in and say, I'm going to be a leader in the church. This is kind of the, their oath of office, if you will. And he says, he says here, and I'm, I'm charging you in the presence or before God and Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead. The worship team picked out the perfect songs for this morning. Crown him with many crowns. He is the king of glory. Psalm 24, lift up your heads and see the king of glory. That's what Paul wants us to do. He's doing a Psalm 24 for us. Lift up your heads, Veritas, and see Jesus Christ, the judge of the living and the dead. When it says the living, when Jesus comes back to judge, there are going to be people who are alive. He's going to judge them, and he's going to judge the dead. Most people will be dead who will be judged. But either way, Jesus is 
coming back, and everyone will give an account. And this is what he says. Verse 2, there are five commands that he gives here. And the first one is this, preach the word. Number two, be ready in season and out of season. Number three, correct. Four, rebuke. Five, encourage with great patience and teaching. Five commands. Number one, preach the word. Jesus Christ is here this morning. That should make all of us tremble, especially me. Because I'm looking out, and I'm, I actually had this thought during worship um, of like Jesus sitting here, and I picture him being an, a pretty active listener. You know, I look out, and, and some of you are active listeners, you're like head nodders, and even some, and some we, we don't have a lot of amen people, but we should, right? Uh, that's good. Uh, but, but people's like, hmm, hmm, oh, yeah. And for some reason, Rebecca and Ryan, I, I imagined your dad, for some reason, Kip. Like when I pictured Jesus being in here, just super active listener, like, oh, yeah. But I just imagine, that's also kind of terrifying, right? Because could you imagine him, like, sitting there with a straight face, like, shaking his head, like, like some of you probably do, too, <laughs> that often at Veritas, like, mm, I don't know about that. That's the, the sense that we get here. And Paul is saying, number one, preach the word with Jesus in the crowd and with Jesus coming back as a king of glory, preach the word. Preach means to proclaim it aloud. And the word, the context last week, Jeff did a great job in uh, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 16, where it says, all scriptures God breathed. And he says, he talks about the sacred scriptures. The word points to Jesus, the logos, but clearly in this context, it is the proclamation of God's word, the Bible, the scriptures, the holy scriptures that have been God-breathed, that this should be central to our gathering, that when believers gather, and Timothy, when you stand up there to say something out loud, say the word of God, speak the word of God. Number one, this is a this is what you can write down if you're taking notes. God's word needs to be spoken. And the reason that word spoken is so important there is people need to hear it. Romans 10 tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the words of Christ. That's how people get saved. That's how God's people are sanctified or made holy. That's how God's people are different from the world is because they hear the word of God and they apply it. They live it. They live under it. You've heard the saying, many of you have, have quoted uh, and, or heard St. Francis Assisi quoted, you know, that famous quote, preach the gospel at all times. Use words when necessary. Okay, that's not all bad, but it's a little extreme, isn't it? Like if you take that literally, his point is good. Like, you need to live out the gospel. But also, that is a little bit like saying, feed the starving at all times. Use food when necessary. <laughs> You're like, there's no other way to feed starving people except with food, right? That's, so when we preach the gospel, we can't just use our life. We have to use words like repent and believe and Jesus Christ, 
and died for your sins and raised from the dead. Like without those words, nobody's going to get saved. Jesus' last conversation with Peter, he says, feed my sheep. And what did Jesus mean by feed my sheep except people don't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So we have a responsibility every week at Veritas to come and bring you the word of God in its fullness. Command number two, Paul says, I solemnly charge you before God in Christ Jesus, who's going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing in kingdom, the second thing, be ready in season and out of season. Be ready in season and out of season. What does that mean? When something is not in season, it's a bad time to do it, right? So if you see a farmer out there in the middle of January on the coldest day of the year planting corn in the field, and it's like coming out of the planter and it just like sits on top of the ice, right? You're like, hey, it's, it's not spring yet, right? It's not time to plant like that idiot out there. Here's what Paul is saying to us. It's always a good time for good news about Jesus. That's, I think, Paul's point here. It's always a good time. That's the second thing if you're taking notes. It's always a good time for good news about Jesus. He's saying, Timothy, when it's not popular, when it might cost you your job or a relationship, or it might get you killed, that is the perfect time to preach the gospel. The middle of winter, you get your planner out and you be ready. And plant the seeds of the gospel. Preach the word when it seems like it's not the right time. I thought of Isaiah. Remember Isaiah 6? Some of you um, have heard of this passage. Um, if you're new to the Bible, it's this old prophet, Isaiah. And uh, God, he sees God. And he's in the presence of God. And the doorposts of the temple shake. And he's like, whoa, holy, holy, holy. He's the Lord God Almighty. And he, he says, I'm ruined. I'm a sinner. And then... His, he's cleansed, and so he can come into the presence of God, and hears, and he's like, Lord, I want to go for you. I want to I be your ambassador. Send me, Lord. And the Lord says to him, and here's, here's what God says to him. All right, awesome. I'm glad you're so excited to go, Isaiah. Here's your charge. Go and tell this people, be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. God's saying, Isaiah, your ministry is this. You're going to go out and you're going to preach the word and nobody's going to listen. And look at what Isaiah says. Well, for how long, Lord? Like, how long do I have to have that ministry of people not listening, ever hearing but never understanding? He says, well, until the cities are ruined until the houses are left deserted. But as an oak tree leaves a stump when it's cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. What does this mean? 
Isaiah's preaching was going to have a purpose that would be beyond anything he would be able to understand. If you've ever read Isaiah 52 and 53, we call it the fifth gospel because it's the prophecy about Jesus. By his wounds, we will be healed. And it describes the suffering servant of God. Isaiah was going to prepare the way for Jesus. It's like God is saying, Isaiah, I have a purpose that you will never be able to understand in your lifetime. So don't start thinking that you control the results. When you preach the word, you don't control how people respond. All you control is that you spoke it. You said it. You shared it, right? You planted it. What if God gives you that ministry? Would you receive it? Like, here am I, Lord. He's like, sweet. Your whole ministry is, you're going to preach the gospel. No one's going to listen. But like Isaiah, maybe God is using you to prepare for his return. The third thing he tells Timothy, the solemn charge to correct, correct. There is a right and a wrong way to live your life as a follower of Jesus. I know things are a little blurry right now, but not everything is gray. There is a black and white way to live your life. There is right and there is wrong. I want to give you a little quiz this morning. Um, True or false? Don't raise your hand on this because you're going to embarrass yourself, okay? But just do this little quiz in your heart and be honest. True or false? The area of a circle is 2 pi r. True or false? The area of a circle is 2 pi r. Some of you are like, I'm not doing the test. (laughs) Fine, you don't have to do the test. But for those of you that really want to be good listeners this morning, do the test. Okay, the area of a circle is 2 pi r. We're not going to raise hands or whatever, but I'm telling you, that's the wrong answer. For those of you, yeah, that sounds familiar. Pi? two and a pi and an r squared or whatever, like two pi r and all that, it, it, it's, that answer is wrong. That is not the area of a circle. And some of you are like, yeah, but I feel that it's right. Well, it doesn't matter. <laughs> like I, the congratulations that you feel like you got the right answer when you got the wrong answer, that's never going to be the area of a circle. That's the circumference of a circle. The area of a circle is pi r squared. So you know what every student needs? Some of us, we do need to go back to geometry and relearn some of this stuff that we will never need ever in our lives. But you know what we need? You know what a student needs? A student needs a teacher. You know what an athlete needs? An athlete needs a coach. You know what a young learning physician needs? An older physician to tell them how to do stuff. Like some of you are here doing residency, which means you're learning. You're learning the right way how to do something because you don't know how to do it. Like I still remember the red ink of my ninth grade geometry teacher on my paper. Like that's wrong. Guess what, church? We need a teacher with a red ink pen 
who knows the correct answer. And so the third point here is, that's when Paul says correct. Here's my point from that. We need red ink in our lives, right? We need that. Because we talk, you know, we talk about being like gay or straight or whatever. Like honestly, as Christians, like is anyone really straight? Like is anyone like perfectly, like, you, do you know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I, I probably shouldn't have said that because I should have thought that through a little more. But I was, you know, just processing this like uh, from this, this uh, talk that we listened to of this guy that, that struggles with same-sex attraction. He was talking about this idea of all of us like sexually falling short of God's perfect standard. Do you know what I mean? And so all of us in ways like deviate from God's perfect path. Like the Bible talks, does that make sense to you? I hope I didn't, whatever, lose my job. I'm just, first day back, I'm already fired. Okay. Uh, anyway, we need red ink. Maybe I just got some. Um, here's, here's some pictures of, that I want to show you. Here's the first picture. Um, this is the path of righteousness. This is the straight line. There's one person who's walked a straight line. His name is Jesus. Okay, now here's the question. How do you know how to get from here to there? What do you do? Okay, there are kids in the auditorium. We could probably sing that song. If we, how do you get from here to there? What do you do? Okay, what do you do? What is the line? How do you know? How do you know what that line is? Well, next picture. That word is, that line is the word of God. That is the path of righteousness. And the Bible tells us what sin is. The Bible tells us when we're walking off the path. And there's two ways to walk off the path. You could have sins of commission. Those are sins you commit. Things you do that you shouldn't do. And then there's, at the bottom, sins of omission. Like if you omit something, you fail to do it. Things that you don't do that you should do. Okay, so you're walking and you're trying to walk on this path. Let's look at the next picture, slide. Okay, let's look at a day in the life of Mark Arendt. Okay, here it is. Next one. Boom! That's my straight line. Okay, that's my life. I roll, like, first thing, look, look at, first thing, I open my eyes and I'm like thinking, I need coffee. Like, all of the things I failed to do, like, first thing I should do, my first conscience thought, I tried to be the Lord's Prayer. When I open my eyes, I try to be like, our Father in heaven. And I try to order my life under the authority of Jesus, take up my cross and follow Jesus. That doesn't always happen. So I open my eyes and I get on with my day. And I forget, I'm like, I got a lot to do today. Got to get my coffee. Got to get going. Got to get to this meeting. And boom, I start off and I'm like already off the path. Okay, and then I'm like, oh, shoot, I need to blah, blah. You got to get back. You can see that by the end of that. This little part is probably when I get home and I think I've worked really hard and I deserve like a social media binge. And then um, I go into the sins of omission where I'm just neglecting all the people in my house. And then somebody does something and I yell at them because they're annoying me and, and bothering me and stuff. So that's a moment of commission. Uh, and then on it goes um, as the day goes on. So here's the point, guys. We need to know how to follow Jesus. We need God's word in our lives. Because here's what our lives would look like 
without Jesus, without his word. Next slide. Is this is a day in the life of Mark Aaron without God's word. What is the path of righteousness? Where am I going? I don't know. How do I get there? I don't know. I just kind of do whatever I want. I do whatever I feel is right. And that is our culture right now. Groping around, just in the darkness, wandering around, trying to find their way based on how they feel. And all you're left to is your own, it all just boils down to your own kind of psychology and your own feelings. And, and you just kind of meander around life and get other people to be like, yeah, I mean, you're on the path. And you're like, what path? They're just like, your path. Well, that's not helpful. Oh, yeah, but that's all there is, is just your path. And so we need God's word. We need some red ink. And I love it. It's red because it's my failures, the blood of Jesus. It covers my sin. And so... Um, I get to the end of the day, and I'm like, oh, Lord, have mercy on me. And he's like, well done. I'm like, what do you mean, well done? And I look back, and I, he's just filled it in with his righteousness. It's, it's awesome being a Christian. So the fourth thing he says, Timothy, correct. And then number four is rebuke. Rebuke. Sometimes we don't want correction, and that's when we need someone to come to us and say, actually, you're, you're wrong on this. I, we need rebuke. And the fourth point is, you know someone loves you if they have the courage to tell you the hard thing. The most loving thing you can do when someone is so off the path is, is to come to them and to rebuke them. That's a stronger kind of correction. Yeah, I know you feel like sexual compromise is no big deal, but it's hurting you. It's hurting your relationship with God. It's hurting your relationship with the people that love you. I plead with you, do not make this decision to continue down this path. Sometimes it's harder when it's like pride and greed and things that you can't really see, but you're like, your pursuit of your career is choking the life out of your faith. Come back. Number five, he says, encourage with great patience and teaching. I love the NIV, it says, with great patience and careful instruction. Here's an oxymoron. Yelling the gospel at someone in anger is an oxymoron. Like, that just never needs to happen, right? You never need to scream the gospel at someone. Do you see what Paul's saying here? The tone of all of this preaching, the tone of this being ready in season and out of season, correction, rebuke, the tone, it's all couched in this command that it's coming with encouragement, patience, careful instruction. In chapter 2, verse 22, he says, the Lord's servant must be gentle. If you're a hothead, you have no business being in ministry. If you've got an anger problem and you're going to go around like using people, bullying people, domineering people, you have no business 
doesn't matter how good you are at doing it and how many people enjoy it. Like, you just should never be a leader in the church if that's you. You, sh- you must be gentle to everyone. I love that, everyone. Not just the people you agree with. It's easy to be gentle with those people. The people who hate you, be gentle with them. Patient. This is chapter 2, verse 24. Gentle to everyone, patient, instructing opponents with gentleness. I mean, he uses this word gentle so many times. Gentle, gentle, gentle. This is a dangerous temptation for Christians who know the truth. Like, I think what he's saying here is, don't beat people up with this. Here's the point here if you're taking notes. Number five, I'm, don't weaponize the Bible. Don't turn the Bible into a weapon. He says, love is patient. Fight your impulse toward instant outrage. Some of you have been put in those moments where you see something that just angers you, and it it can be a righteous anger. Paul's saying gentleness. Whether you're in the pulpit or whether you're in your comment section of Facebook or wherever, like this should be part of how we as Christians carry ourselves in the world, patience. And now verse 3, he tells us why we need these five things, why Timothy needs this. He says for, this is, Chapter 4, verse 3, because 4. So this is why you have to preach the truth. The time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. There's going to come a time when people won't want to hear the word of God. Man, I feel like these verses didn't age well, did they? I mean, people in our time love to hear the word. They love the truth, right? Our culture reveres the word of God. No, right? We know this, right? People don't want the truth. They want their truth, right? Are you with me? That's what people want. Like, they want someone to tell them what they already believe. And they find the podcasts, the books, the teachers, the psychiatrists, the news feeds that affirm their feelings about the world. You can find some geometry teacher out there that thinks the area of a circle is 2 pi r. And they're like, totally. I can't believe all those people that think there's only one right answer. Like, you know what else the area of a circle is? Whatever you want it to be. Like, there's just teachers out there that will tell you whatever you want to hear. If it feels right, it is right, because it's right for you. Where is the path? Well, it's wherever you are. That's the path. I was thinking about this illustration because Paul's like, he's telling telling Timothy, here's the ingredients to ministry and and church ministry. I was thinking about this, like if if a famous chef like Gordon Ramsay comes to you and is like, hey, I need you to take over my restaurant. And you're like, whoa, that's awesome. I I don't know what to do. He's like, you don't have to worry about it because here's the ingredients. And what you need to do is follow these ingredients. And you're like, okay, okay, I think I can do that. And he teaches you, you learn, he hands you the ingredients. He's like, do not change the ingredients. 
And you're like, okay, cool. He leaves. And pretty soon, guess what happens? The once popular restaurant in downtown Manhattan, all of a sudden, you're cooking with the same ingredients, and all of a sudden, people stop coming. And they're like, and, and all of a sudden, you're cooking all this food, and nobody's coming. And you're like, this is troubling, because I know Gordon Ramsay's coming back, and he can't come back to an empty restaurant. And so you know what you find out? If you change some of the ingredients, people will like the food better. So you know what you do? You go down, and, and you get some MSG, and you start shaking it in there. And, and then, it, but then it's not just MSG you're like, man, I mean, weed is legal in New York. I mean, I think I put a little THC in there, you know, just sprinkle some, some THC, some weed in there and start putting some preservatives because then you can package that stuff and, and food dyes and color it and all this stuff. And all of a sudden people start flocking and your restaurant just takes over Manhattan. And he, Gordon Ramsay comes back and his restaurant is packed, and you think he's going to be so happy, and it's filled with all these sick people, and they love the food, and they're malnourished. And you're like, look at this crowd. And he's like, what have you done? You guys, church is not that complicated. Like, it is as simple as gathering and proclaiming the word of Christ. And Paul's saying, don't change it to accommodate, to make it more palatable. Don't just, oh, the hell ingredient, eternal torment, let's take that out and insert it with something a little more inclusive. Men and women and their roles, and that's so, I mean, that was great back in the 50s. That doesn't work anymore. Jesus, I mean, yeah, we're going to keep him as the most important ingredient. Good. But we're going to add some other things to it. Mark 12.10, Jesus says, these people will be punished most severely when I return. Wow. I want to see how this passage ends. Verse 5, he says, But as for you, exercise self-control in everything. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time for my departure is close. The word departure is loosening. It's like when, the, when they, they untie the rope from the dock and they push the ship off. He says, I'm letting go of my life I'm a, my ship is setting sail for heaven. And then he says, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. This was the final after the burnt offering and the grain offering, a sacrifice was poured out on the altar of God. And he said, my life now is coming to an end and it's going to be poured out. It's the last thing to go is my breath. And I have, and then he says this, he says, time for my departure is close. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. 
Paul's not saying, he says, he doesn't say, I won the race. He says, I finished the race. Because the battle's still going. The race is still going. Timothy, it's your turn now. And here's what God is calling you to do. You're in the middle of something you're contending for. It's a battle. It's a race. It's the life of faith, and it's hard. And here's how you fight the good fight. It's faithfulness. Keep trusting and obeying God's word. I want to ask this morning, what is the hard thing God is calling you to be faithful in? Times are tough, right? I mean, I think about our public school teachers. I know I've had conversations with many of you who have struggled as your principal hands you a pride flag and says, put it up in your classroom. Or a book that encourages this kind of thinking for, you know, elementary school kids, for preteens, teenagers, and they're handing you the book and saying, assign this book, read it aloud. Like, what do you do? How do you obey God when it's out of season? How do you preach the word out of season? Well, what motivation do you have to stay faithful when it's hard and when obedience doesn't make sense? What's your motivation Verse 8, he says, there is a reserve for me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. There's a crown waiting for me. The last point here is that people only do hard things if they are convinced that it's worth it. Watching the Olympics, one of the, the runners said, I imagined winning this gold medal every single day of my training. I would imagine what it was like, what it would be like to stand on the podium, hear the national anthem with a gold medal around my neck. I imagined that, and I lived into, I, like, I trained into the vision of that moment. That's what Paul's saying. The only reason anyone would ever stay faithful, if they think there's a crown waiting them for them, we need to talk about the resurrection of Jesus. We need to talk about heaven. We need to remind people that this earth is not our home and Jesus is coming back earlier. That's a solemn thing. That's a terrifying thing. But actually how it ends, the tone of this whole book is encouragement. Keep going. Keep longing. Keep desiring Jesus Christ with your heart and soul. Fight the good fight. Finish the race. It's worth it. Let's pray. Jesus, come and encourage your people this morning as we sing these songs to close our time together. Would you come to each individual person in this room and encourage them because we are contending we are fighting, we are running, and sometimes it doesn't make sense. We feel like farmers out in the middle of winter. Maybe it's a wayward child that, that a parent is trying to speak truth to. Maybe it's a friend or family member, a roommate, or a teacher, a physician, a whatever, and we're trying to figure out what does obedience look like. A, a mom at home, a dad, 
trying to figure out like, how, do I, how do I live this in my marriage as a parent, whatever it is. Like we're, we're contending, we're fighting, and we need help. So come and encourage us, Jesus.